everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment. I got an interesting story for my guest. I just binge watched The Sopranos last year or like six months ago. So I never watched The Sopranos. I'm 47, and I just was enthralled by it. Such an unbelievable show. So I remember it like it just launched, and the last scene stills getting to me. And I know lots of Soprano fans as well, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Michael Imperioli. Michael, I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, we have... We're going to talk about your latest project as well, but you have multiple projects. I'm very impressed from writing to author to podcaster. You have a lot of different projects. Has that always been who you are, is have multiple things on your plate? From the beginning, yeah. Um, When I started uh, acting, acting school, really, before I even was working professionally, I started uh, before I started working professionally as an actor, I started producing theater and directing theater. And uh, that's, I've always been involved in a lot of different projects. I'm, I'm the type of person that needs to stay creative and stay busy. And um, um, I still, that's still what I do. It's kind of like things really haven't changed in a lot of ways. Really? It's, it's so interesting. So from, from the beginning, you must have had a love for more than just acting then, right? Because when you're behind... Yeah and all that what growing up did you want to be an actor or what were you looking to do i uh, no, not till high school i started reading a lot of plays in my uh library at the at my high school and i saw some plays around that time i mean i grew up watching some really good movies you know from the 70s like dog day afternoon and midnight cowboy and things like that so uh and then when i was like toward senior year of high school thinking about all right what did if you can do one thing with your life, what would it be? Okay. And it's like, I guess it would be acting or making movies or theater or something. So I, after high school, I went to acting school and fell in with some really good students who started doing stuff outside of the class on our own producing one of whom was on the Sopranos, John Ventimiglia, who I've known since I'm 17 in acting school. And we start. He played Artie Bucco, the chef. So we started doing uh, theater on our own. We started a company and uh, started directing, and then writing a little later after that. And um, that's how it's been, you know. I mean, uh, the project, the project that I'm here to discuss, uh, Between Wars, is an independent film, and the writer and director was a student of mine uh, at Studio Dante, which is a theater my wife and I opened in uh, 2003 where we produced new plays but we also had classes both in acting and in writing so that's impressive so that's interesting it's a definite project that you've been passionate about or at least because of your friends so involved in it that you really wanted to do this project it sounds like well you know it has i mean first of all tom phillip the writer director is a very talented guy and and a friend but also you know i have a you know a connection to it because it originated at the theater with him developing it in the writing class. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, that's inspiring. That's something that came out of that class, uh, went on to be a movie now and, and, and Tom managed to stay with it for a long time and, and never give up and, and eventually get it made. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And do you see that in yourself and never giving up as an actor to where you got the opportunity with Sopranos and just, yeah you have to um you have to really be in it for the long haul at least 
I did and most of the people that I know. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a long game and it takes a lot of, uh, you have to develop a thick skin, you know, um, because you're not going to get every job. You're not going to get every, you're not going to succeed at every job and get it, you know, get every audition, get every job that you audition for. Um, and it's very hard to break into at this business. Really, really hard. Um, there's no magic bullet. I mean, people think if they get an agent, they're going to all of a sudden be working all the time and it doesn't really work that way. It's not at all. You really just have to, um, you have, you know, people always say, Oh, it's always who, you know, it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. So it's what you've managed to do and, and what, what work you've managed to do and, and, how you represent yourself and the kind of work you do and how people see it and who sees it, you know, and, and, and uh, who you work with and work gets work. And you, you just have to dedicate your, basically your life to it. If you want to succeed. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's a shortcut. No. Um, there's some, I, one, there's some that overnight success, but that really doesn't happen much at all. It doesn't happen much. And often it doesn't sustain itself and it, it burns out or it comes and goes really quickly um, for the often. Um, but a lot of people don't want to hear that, you know, when they say, oh, you know, well, you have any advice? And I'm like, get into a good class, develop a good peer group, do stuff outside the class, you know, do independent movies and student films and theater projects. And people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, get, I want to be famous. I want to be they, in movies. Want I want now. an agent. They want it now. And I understand that too. I did too when I started. But um, the reality is that's probably not going to happen. How much of Christopher is you? Um, I'd say the only part is his uh, diligence and willing to do the work. Um, I mean, I, I can also be very lazy despite being very busy, but um, he, you know, he wanted to be a screenwriter. He wanted to produce movies. He wanted to rise up the ranks of the mafia. He wanted to be in a relationship. He wanted to get sober at one time. And he was willing to put in the work for all those things. He didn't always succeed at them. Uh, they didn't always come out the way he might have want, wanted them to, but I think he worked hard to uh, at his goals where he didn't expect things just to happen to him. He didn't expect people just to do the work for him. And that, I think I understood a long time ago, you know, but everything else, I don't share that much with him, I don't think. And multiple projects is another thing you share with him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Were, were you as intense sometimes as he's intense as a character, you know, when he, with the temper, do you have that temper? Not like he did. I mean, he's, you know, every, I mean, everybody loses their patience sometimes, but I think he, he never really tried to rein in his temper, you know, whereas I hope I do. And other, most, most people I know tried to do that, you know. And at times he was very intense, but then he lacked the focus. That was the biggest thing as, as a character. He was really focused on something, hyper-focused, and then something drew him away from it. Well, sometimes he could lose interest, which a lot of people have that, you know. They, some people aren't finishers, you know. They start strong and then they see the work that it's gonna take and they, and they fade away. Um, he also, A, was involved in a lifestyle that's very, very corrupt and dangerous. Mafia. Yeah. I, you thought I was going to say the movie business, but um, I actually show business. Yeah. Right. Um, and he had, you know, addic addiction issues big time. And um, 
that's derailed the best of them, you know? Who taught, who would you say was your greatest mentor on the set, The Sopranos, that really taught you? The real David people? Chase. David Chase, really. Well, particularly as a writer, um, you know, as an actor, we were all peers. There was no, I didn't really look up to anybody. I just felt everybody, we were all on the same. We were, all, you know, all on, in terms of experience, kind of on a level playing field, except for Dominic and Nancy, who were much yeah. older and who had done so much. But, um, you know, everyone else, I felt like we were, you know, equals and peers. Um, David, in terms of writing, I learned a lot in terms of uh, detail. I mean, one of the things I really learned from David was extreme attention to detail, which is very evident in The Sopranos when you look at, everything's very specific. You know, there's a, if there's a mechanic who oh. comes out from underneath the car, he's wearing a turban and is a Sikh, you know, guy from India or something. You know, everything is drawn to the most specific detail. And uh, it, you know, they say the devil's in the details and it, and it is, it's, it's that attention to the specifics that really separate David's work. And, and that made a big impression on me. And you took that with you as a writer and author after that, what you learned from my, from David. Yeah. I had been writing a bit before that. Um, I had one movie that was made before the Sopranos, which was Spike Lee's summer of Sam, which uh, I, I was a writer on. And that was, that came out, actually it was shot during the same, the first season of The Sopranos. It was shot at the same time, although I wrote it before I was on The Sopranos uh, with a partner. And, um, but, you know, working with David really changed me for the better yeah. and, and uh, was like an education really, yeah. Interesting, and so and that, take that in writing, what about acting? Was it, who do you think was the one that helped you the most acting? As an actor, you know, in my lifetime, um, my teacher, Elaine Aiken, who passed away a number of years ago, but I was with her from my teens to like mid twenties. And um, actually Alec Baldwin studied with her for a while. John Ventimiglia, Sharon Angela from The Sopranos, Sean Young, the actress, Andrew McCarthy, Lily Taylor. She's had a, a number of students who got, you know, pretty far in the business. But uh, she taught me that, um, not to sound pretentious, that acting is an art and that it should be treated as such. And that uh, I didn't go to college. Um, after high school, I started taking acting classes. I wasn't really, I was at a school, but I wasn't full time. I would take two classes, but she said, listen, you don't have to go to college, but you do need to educate yourself, um, especially about art and learn about and read good literature and understand what it means to be an artist and, and learn about the world. And, uh, I went to museums with her and saw theater with her and she, she, uh, that was a big, big education. She had a lot of faith and she said, even before I ever did anything besides study acting, she said, you're going to do a lot more than act in this business. You're going to direct and write and all. She said that before I even really thought oh, wow. to do it. Okay. Yeah. So that, very interesting when you talk about that process. Now, after the Sopranos, everyone really had success after the Sopranos, meaning a lot even their careers grew in certain ways. You took things after The Sopranos was over towards what was your more of your focus, your goal after life after The Sopranos? You know, I, I can't say I had ever had a long-term goal. 
in some ways you're always back to the drawing board mm -hmm. for me. I think the danger that people fall into, the trap, especially when you have a success or on a su uh, successful show or movie that you're like, okay, now I got to be on a show that's as successful or more successful and be, have a bigger part and get paid more money and be a bigger star. When you yeah. start doing things like that, you're in trouble because that may never happen. Right. Probably won't happen. So you just have to go back, you know, to the things that inspire you look for something interesting. Um, and you know, that's, that's how it was for me, you know, TV, film, theater, writing, um, just, just, um, take things as they come. I think the problem when you try to have this design of the future and of the career and the path and stuff, it, it, it's very hard to have things work out that way. And that this industry for sure, right? If you have, you write your career plans, it's not like in sports, if you're one of the top notch, you can kind of write what you want your goals to become or as an entrepreneur. But in this industry, it's a lot of chance, isn't it? You know, it's what's happening at the time and what is available to you at the time, you know? So it's, uh, it's very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, listen, so is sports, right? You can break your leg and there goes your Super Bowl exactly. run for the year and you know, you're out for two years or you, you know, life, you have to, I think you have to be prepared for life throwing your curveballs and just take things as they come a step at a time. I agree. Now, what's your greatest love? Is it writing? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint because every project has its own thing. Um, my greatest love is when I'm involved in something that has a personal element to it. Whereas, especially if it's something that uh, I've written, because those things tend to be more personal. Some, I mean, I wrote and directed a movie that that was an original screenplay that that's very personal. I wrote a book that's just, um, also very personal because it's just your voice. There's right. no, it's a, you know, movies and TV and theaters are very collaborative, are, are collaborative mediums. Um, but it's, it's, it's all that stuff that's very personal that, you know, brings me the most joy, I think, that I feel the most connected to. Um, I have a movie that came out earlier this year. It's available now on like uh, streaming, like Amazon Prime and iTunes and stuff called Cabaret Maxime that I produced and starred in and that had a lot of actors from The Sopranos who I had worked with over, over the years on other projects, independent movies and theater from my theater and all that. So there's been a lot of that kind of collaboration. The director, someone, it's our third film with him. I love that kind of stuff, you know, the, mm -hmm. that collaborative stuff with the, you know, people I know and that I've worked with. That, that, that gives me a lot of joy. You enjoy that and then you enjoy reminiscing as I was listening to another interview the Sopranos cast was like a family to you in so many ways. It was. And like, um, first of all, a lot of us knew each other from before the Sopranos. I knew Edie Falco. I knew John Ventimiglia. I knew Sharon Angela, Kathy Narducci. I knew Vinnie Pastor, Tony Sirico, um, Michael Rispoli. We had done theater and movies together, TV, a little bit of TV. Um, and then we got even closer during the show and the people that I didn't know, we got close. And, and, and to have a big success together, because really only Lorraine Bracco was a star 
per se, before okay. The Sopranos. She was nominated for an Oscar for Goodfellas and everyone else was kind of on the same working actors. You might know us from this or that, yeah. but we weren't household faces or names per se. So uh, having that success together really bonded us as well. And, and, and we've stayed friends since then for the most part, all of us. So tell me about the film, especially that passion film that just is now available streaming, Cabaret. Cabaret Maxime, uh, we shot in Lisbon, a director named Bruno Dalmeida. Uh, and it's about a, I play a club owner, a guy who owns like an old school burlesque cabaret with a, a bunch of misfit performers that are, okay. that are really his family. And it gets mm -hmm. threatened by gentrification and these, you know, criminal elements that want to you know, capitalize on the neighborhood changing and, and, and gentrifying. And we shot in Lisbon. It's a Portuguese filmmaker. It's our third film with him. Ventimiglia's in it. Um, David Proval, who played Richie Aprile on The Sopranos. Okay. Um, Sharon Angela, who played Rosalie Aprile. And uh, Arthur Nascarella, who played Carlo Gervaisi. So uh, there's a Soprano vibe to it, although it's not a it's not a mafia movie per se, but right. there is a gangster noir element to it. Yeah, it's when good. you're a club, at one point there's some underhanded things sometimes that happen. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's um, but I it's, I think it's my favorite performance out of anything I've done. I'm really proud of it. And uh, and the new one, uh, Between Wars, which just became available last week through Vimeo, and that. And that that you can go to betweenwarsthemovie.com and get info on how to watch it. But that's Tom Phillip. He wrote and directed it, originated in the class at Studio Dante. And he shot this movie in nine days with very, very, very little money, completely independent. And it's a very raw, New York, edgy, gritty, passionate movie about uh, really about the effects of PTSD on, on, on uh, veterans. What a time to talk about this. This will again be airing on Monday in syndication and then out on YouTube today. I mean, on Tuesday, I'm thinking Monday, but to talk about veterans and what they've done and the challenges that we're dealing with now with the coronavirus and, and certain freedoms that we took for granted, right? Thanks to our, our men and women that helped serve our country, you know? Yeah, you can never, um, you can never put enough gratitude and praise on people who dedicate themselves to that right. and people who make the sacrifices that they do. And sometimes the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, you can never, you can't appreciate that enough. I think. Mm -hmm. It's why we have the freedoms today to be as creative and do what we want to do. Other places yes, can... it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Your character in between, between wars. Tell us about that character. Well, he goes by the name of Sarge and he's a veteran himself from Iraq, from the uh, Bush one Iraq war. Uh, and um, he has become basically a counselor, you know, psychologist to help people dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And he's a guy from, uh, from New York, from the streets, grew up, you know, blue collar background, went to the uh, military when he was a young guy and, um, saw some rough things, you know, yeah. managed to live through it and, and came back and just, you know, realized that his, his peers and his friends and his comrades, you know, were coming back damaged and wanted to find a way to help. So um, it's interesting because originally 
one of the early drafts, this character was just part of us. He wasn't a therapist. He was part of like their group therapy, like part of the su support group that the lead okay. character Franny goes to. And um, I was originally going to play a different character. And then when I read that, I said, Tom, what about expanding on that and uh, making that Sarge character bigger, make him more, you know, and, okay. and Tom was like, well, what if we make him the, the therapist, you know, and one-on-one -on -one with Franny. And then he wound up writing these scenes that I just loved. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, uh, I just kind of connected to that character and, and um, loved how he expanded on it. And uh, I liked the one-on-one -on -one aspect and challenging this guy to really be honest with himself. Exactly. The only way he's going to heal is to really be honest with himself. And, and um, you know, you can't act out and heal yourself. You have to act, you know, from within. And, 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 and that's really what he's teaching and, trying to, and how he's trying to help. And Sarge just understands from these other people that have gone through this, how hard it is to go to civilian life in so many ways, especially going through something as traumatic as this. It's very hard. It's a hard transition. It's hard to be around people who don't know what you've been through and don't understand what you've been through. And um, no matter how much, no matter how close you are to them and how much you love them and how much they know you, it's still, you've experienced things that only those who have gone through it know. And um, there are things that are hard to integrate and hard to make peace with. And, uh, you know, there's a big spectrum of them. There's, you know, a, a big variety and, and in levels of intensity of PTSD and, and based on what your experiences actually were, what your psychological makeup exactly. is, what type of person you are. And, um, you know, he sees that this guy, Franny, um, you know, if he doesn't find a way to handle these demons, you yeah. know he's going to destroy himself it's life or death you know it really it really is i'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that you know ex with exaggeration at all it is life or death i mean it's and um i i think if this movie can you know draw a little bit of attention to that and and, and right. even just open one set of eyes to the reality of that problem then then this movie's done an amazing thing and see, and that's the thing that's the frustration. We do not have enough money towards, or we really still don't understand mental health and how mental illness and dealing with PTSD or different types of disorders that we really need to have the right people and to help them that, that reach out because it's so awful when you have a mental illness, the amount of suicides that take place in this country, regardless if it's PTSD or not, depression, anxiety, all these different things how painful it is for those people and really have to shed light on it more than we do yeah it's painful it's lonely it's yeah. stigmatized right. um you know it's 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 not as simple as something like you know i have an ulcer so i'm gonna yeah. get, take medicine or i'm gonna you right. know get a surgery it's it's right. a lot more subtle it's a lot it's a very different type of illness but um it helps. It helps. It helps. It hits home for me, meaning a family members dealing with it, and it's very hurtful. So it's painful. So meaning not PTSD, but dealing with, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. It's terrible. And, and I I agree, and I think, I mean, even just 
going through coronavirus, this mm -hmm. period of time, I think has been a challenge for a lot of people to, to, you know, when your whole, everything, you know, get, is changes, yes. right? The, the life that you've lived up till this time is completely changed. And some people in the uncertainty, the economic uncertainty, you know, not having a job and be, not having a steady paycheck. Right. I mean, it's stress levels of stress that are very hard to deal with. And, um, yeah, you know, we, we have to make help available. We have to make it affordable and we have to let people know that there's no shame, that there's no stigma involved, that it's very human. Right. And, uh, we all have to be in it together. Right. And everyone speaking of the coronavirus has dealt with it, some stress in some part of their life, some, a lot of other, some more than others, but we've all had to sacrifice in certain ways, but also we've had to make changes. Some of us work from home, but yet then all our kids are at home for school. So that was a challenge or, you know, the things that people have to deal with these moms, the, the hard work that they put through for the kids that were home for school. I mean, they gotta be so commended. They need the stimulus. Huge. They're huge. Huge. And then dealing with loss and people yeah. who died. I mean, yeah. uh, a lot of us, I mean, myself included, no people who've died from this and dealing with that grief. And, uh, you know, no matter what you believe or your politics or this or that, we're all in this together. We have to be and we're not. And we have to figure out a way to yeah. stop this. I mean, I watch all media just because I'm a studier of the media. I'm a, I have a history degree, so I'm interested in looking all sides what the media says. And we really don't know for a fact who's right. And that's the scary point. How dangerous this virus is. We know it's dangerous. But how much is it going? What's going to happen in the next six months? What's going to happen in the next two weeks? It's just so unknown. And that's the thing. And the uncertainty yeah. with the economy for actors. Also think about the acting business. Oh my gosh, you guys will been completely shut down. When will you get yeah. back up? That's gotta be hard. You're used to doing events, you're used to. Yeah, I lost a whole tour. I was, do we were doing a tour of England and uh, United Kingdom and, and, and Ireland in, month, in May, 17 city tour. And- uh, Gone. Yeah, gone, maybe, maybe next year, maybe not, we'll see, I hope. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think especially in New York, which is where um, I do a lot of my work. My, my last TV job was in New York, you know, to see how it's going to open up, when it's going to open up, what changes are going to be made to production. And, and um, we'll get back. We'll get we'll get there again. No, no doubt. I mean, it's just going to take some time and take some changes, but we'll, you know, we'll get there. Um, but it's certainly been, you know, the uncertainty look like a natural disaster. They're horrible and devastating. People die and they lose businesses and homes and stuff, but there's a certain finite way to take it in and say, okay, here's the damage. A hurricane's done. This is the damage. We got to fix it. We got to put aid. We got to help. This thing is just so unpredictable and uncertain. We don't know the future. We don't know. Can it come back? Will it come back? Is it, you know, is it safe to reopen? Is it not safe to reopen? Um, is there a vaccine? Is there not? A, can we have a vaccine? Yeah. You know, will it work? We don't, we just don't know. And the unknown and the uncertainty it is told me for the first really hard weeks, five weeks. I'm an entrepreneur, have a digital marketing and tech company. And I'm like, okay, I was looking to expand the company to more than just me and a few people. And then all those plans changed because I did not know I'm still doing, I'm very busy still, but guess what? The clientele is a different clientele and prospecting. 
because we don't know where, who's, where people buy things, what they're going to do, what events. It's just, it's just so much. But thank goodness I'm online because that's where everything's going. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a blessing to be able to start a podcast uh, in the right. middle of that's this because I've been doing this from home, and that's been been uh, been fun at least, and and a, and a just a welcome uh, distraction. But it's yeah. um, it's been really hard, you know, for everybody, and uh, no one saw this coming. Really, I mean, it's like certainly last year this time, we, if you would have said this was what we'd be living. <laughs> you know, I'd be shocked. Uh, you but, travel a lot, especially you have different I things. I do. Sopranos, right? Events and stuff. That's why you do the podcast. It's part of it, right? It's yeah, a lot. A lot of travel. And last year we were in Australia doing a tour uh, in conversation with the Sopranos, like an inside the actor's studio kind of live stage right. thing. We've done that in Australia and all around this country, and uh, um, which is really fun. But um, no travel right now, but hopefully soon it'll be back. That's got to be the hardest thing. I was taking, I was talking to Terrell Davis about it. I was interviewing him, and he, and you just could tell he's like, "Man, I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to go." We all know we got to wait. You know, that's the biggest thing. We have to wait. Yeah, that that it's forced us. It's yeah. forced us to be patient, right? You know, it's I was really supposed happened. to be in Vegas like two weeks before, and at an event with a client out uh, in in Vegas, and that got canceled. Thank goodness, and then everything went to wow and then i can't even remember i was in houston in december and i thought travel just seems so crazy to think about but at one point we will be again doing it again for sure so well, tell us yeah. yeah think things are starting to open up now so we'll see we hope I, let's hope that step by step like in cases like certain area like in brazil and then we have to start again that will be really hard i, I hope not i hope yeah. not I'm hopefully hoping. the worst is behind us exactly so the name of the podcast. What's the name of the podcast? Podcast is called Talking Sopranos, and it's available on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that. Uh, and that's Steve Shrip and I. Steve Shrip and I um, breaking down every episode. E you know, each episode of our podcast is dedicated to one episode of the show. That's great. Uh, we have guests, um, not every show, like every other show, kind of. We have had Jamie Lynn Sigler. We've had Robert Eiler, Michael Rispoli, Henry Bronctine, one of the one of our directors and producers. We had the casting people, uh, which was really fascinating. Uh, we had Edie Falco coming up. We have uh, the costume designer, Juliet. So it's uh, people in front of and behind the camera, people who have contributed to make the show what it is. It's an inside look at the show so you got to be happy you were part of the sopranos because it's still help it's still part of your life and never ended even though yeah i mean i never would have predicted that but uh what happened was in the last year and a half two years the show became huge to a whole other generation of viewers uh late teens 20s 30s this is all a new audience that were too young to watch Me the show when when it was on the, the air the interview that's first time i watched it and I'm well that's something yeah you can't predict that i mean it's yeah. one thing to watch it when it's on and have nostalgia for those days when you'd, sunday night you'd watch it with your family and make pasta or whatever um but this is a whole new generation uh who are obsessed with the show and uh they're like the podcast generation so it's one reason why I think this the podcast has really caught on, you know, because young people are really because it talking about each episode. And I know now I probably won't ask that question 
of what of the last episode. Do you think he died or not? Because you're going to be breaking that down in a podcast, right? At one point, you'll do the last episode. But, but I mean, it, it floored me. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm watching, and I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to get shot up, right? I was thinking that, and then it turned to black, and I'm like, what just happened? And, it, and, and I know that got people that watched it live compared to me watching it on Amazon. A different story. See, Amazon's what did it. Honestly, I think Amazon brought it back with the whole putting in all the episodes. Streaming. Yeah. Streaming on Amazon. I think that that really did it. I mean, they've done it for a lot of shows. Amazon has taken other shows and have made them very popular again. So. Oh. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think it's really the, the binging the show is a whole other experience. It was when it was initially on, you had to wait every week. And then when the season was done, you might have to wait a year. Uh, for the next season so being able to watch it when you want has brought a whole other uh, element to the you know to the viewership i think and it's grown now more i bet you because that's probably one on their list for binge watching during the uh pandemic is i think it's a bigger show now than it was you know and, and it, there was an article in gq two weeks ago that said sopranos was the hottest show of 2020 Because a lot of the new shows, A, weren't able to go on the air, and B, you know, it's like people are in quarantine, they're binge-watching their old favorites. And, you know, I interviewed Steve like four years ago, never knew anything about a sauce. It was like a quick radio tour, eight, six, eight, six to eight-minute interview on, his, on, on his, uh, um, his, his uh, sauce, and I never even heard of The Sopranos then. You're laughing at me saying, what were you doing during The Sopranos? I was a former professional wrestler. I was traveling minor leagues, but I didn't have time to watch television and I didn't have HBO. We were, we had cable like, and, and then when I got back, I was still busy and I never did. So isn't that, mm -hmm. I, I was always interested, but I was hooked after the first episode, the pilot. And then I'm like, yeah. I, and it gets better over time. Yeah. You know, I think the show. Yeah. I heard you say how much you thought it got better in another yeah. interview. Yeah. You were like, yeah. As a writer, you really analyze shows. Is that hard? Especially when you see a script and you get a job for another show, and we're not going to name the shows, but you probably nitpick as a writer looking at what that you see when you're getting offered a, a, a job, right? In a certain ways and say- Well, you know, um, every you have to take it for what it is. You, you, you can't- you know, you take a job based on what that show is and where you are in your life and, you know, what you need at the moment. Um, it's going to be hard to top The Sopranos or match The Sopranos, but uh, that doesn't have to be, you know, you, you just, some shows, you know, there's procedural shows that are fun to watch. Like, I love Law & Order SVU. I, I don't get tired of watching those. It's, you know, it's a certain formula that works and is very satisfying and fun. Um, you know, it's very different type of writing than the Sopranos, but right. it, it, it's its own thing. And, and, uh, people love it. I like it. Um, so you, you have to judge everything for its own terms. Not really, you, you can't always compare it to other things. You know what I mean? Do you binge yourself? Binge watch shows? Yeah. I like, right now I'm watching, uh, Afterlife, which is a Netflix series written, directed, and starring Ricky Gervais. And I love it. It's oh, really? I'll have to check that out. It's I just... dark comedy. Actually, gets very dark and sad, but also very funny. Uh, and it's brilliant. It's really good.
I was uh, watching the one with um, the one for Married with Children, the show that was uh, on Netflix. I, it'll come to me in the name of it in a second, but it was a really good show. But Which I'm, one? The father, the wife, or the no, the, the the daughter? The, the um, um, she she was in. The oh, one. Christina Applegate. Applegate. Yeah, that's a good show. And I, which it, show is that? I don't know. Well, that one. It's something something dead. Better, it's not, it's like better off dead, or I forget, it's not like the, the show, it's something dead, dead to me, dead to me. And oh my gosh, it's hilarious! Uh -huh. It's hilarious comedy, but really well done. But I'm, I'm binge so many different things after, so you know, it is what it is. I have to, right? <laughs> it's my when I, you know, I talk, interview so many different people and stuff. So, okay, the podcast. Last thing I want you to pitch is because I, I, I interview a ton of authors, especially for the Miami Book Fair, even though your book's been out a few years. Tell us about your book before we finish up. Are you in Miami? Is that where you are? No, I'm in Pittsburgh. I uh, cover the Miami Book Fair every year. Yeah. From one year I went to Miami with Life Improvement Radio, but we broadcast live every year for like the last, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but for the last nine years. Yeah. yeah, I was there for the 2008. My book came out in 2008. I went to Miami Book Fair and did an event there. Uh, my book is called The Perfume Burned His Eyes. It's a novel. It's a coming of age novel set in the mid 70s in New York City and focuses on a 16 year old boy and his friendship with uh lou reed the huh. rock star huh. and uh miami book fair was a lot of fun i enjoyed that and i heard the publisher i've worked with a lot uh akashic books yeah. brooklyn yeah, yeah brooklyn and, publishing johnny temple yeah. yeah i think the new went was we would have met i the year i was there uh was i think 2010s when i started going so sorry i was there in 2018 not 2018 oh 18 well, they didn't put me on two years list. ago Tell Lisa Palais, if you ever, she's a, uh, she was the one that really does all the PR for it all. She's phenomenal. You talk about a hardworking publicist. Oh my gosh, what mm -hmm. she puts together with the Miami Book Fair and all those authors and try to get all things together. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. amazing. I didn't see, I didn't know you were there. So like she just offers me different people. A lot of professors because I have a background as a teacher before. So it's kind of like interesting ones I get to interview. But I, lo I love the Miami Book Fair. Isn't that the best international? I mean, I hope someday it'll be back again. The street festival is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, really fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, so cool. So we can purchase that book at, uh, anywhere, right? You still your book available? You can get it at uh, your local independent bookstore. You could get it at uh, Akashic Books website and you can get it at the big, uh, you know, uh, Amazon or whatever. Okay. And what else, any other projects going on right now? You talked about, are you doing a TV show right now or? Uh, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collective on NBC. We just did, we did our first season uh, and we are waiting now. And there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, uh, in TV. So we're waiting yeah. to see if we'll do some more. We may, we may not, but hopefully we will. We'll see. Yeah, I got to do the tour with NBC for it so i did it with the stars so didn't get to interview but i got to interview the the main people for it when i work with uh, christine over in nbc all the time yeah christine she's Gorky, yeah she's yeah. great yeah she's the, the good crew for sure nbc they're top notch they are i i am yeah. not no complaints about those guys and different people i get to interview and all that stuff all right yeah, best place we can connect all the things where can we go for you do Enjoy. what where's the best place we can connect with you do you have a place? Oh, you could go to Instagram, real Michael Imperioli. All right. No website? No website, no. Not not, a, not one just for me, no. No. But social media, yeah. 
and then and then there we'll find out what's going on when the Soprano tours will start. Yeah, Soprano tours next year or whatever later this year. I hope uh, talkingsopranos.com mm-hmm. would have some of that information and links to social media and uh, ways to hear the podcast and all that. All right. Well, you got a lot of different things going on, as I talked about from the beginning. You yeah, a lot of hats. Yeah, I have to. Otherwise, I get. I'm not a happy camper when I'm bored. Okay. Well. All right, man. Okay. Take care, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today. We're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment, and oh, I'm excited about my guest right now. Uh, I'm just a huge fan of his and different ventures he's had. I'm excited to welcome the program Ben Stein. He's going to talk about the Capitalist Code. It can save your life and make you very rich. Ben, thanks for calling. How are you? It's my pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Ben. So kind of looking at the direction... When did you become a capitalist? Were you a capitalist your whole life, Ben, or did you transition? Well, I I was. Well, bear in mind, my father was quite a famous economist. He was an extremely conservative economist. He was a free market economist, and he knew that the key to success and happiness in life was capital. Not not the only key. I mean, spiritual and emotional keys are, are very important as well. But that capital, owning capital, was the difference between happiness and sadness in many situations. And I should say, this traces back to the, to the Great Depression. So much of American life goes back to the Great Depression. My, my grandfather had been unemployed for a large part of the Great Depression, and it caused considerable privation in my fa- father's family. So he wanted to always make sure we had capital, so that if there was another, if there were another Great Depression, we would have capital. And so I learned from an early age that owning capital uh, separates the sheep from the goats. Interesting. And so, if you're not a capitalist, you don't really believe in storing up the barns with tons of stuff, then, and, and have. And, well, if you're not a capitalist, well, I would say if you're not a capitalist, you're a fool. But uh, <laughs> you're, uh, if you're not a capitalist, uh, then you're a laborer. And uh, unless you, I mean, you either have capital you've acquired yourself, or you have capital that you have inherited. And in in either case, you are the master in the world. And it doesn't matter whether it's Russia or communist China or any other country. Uh, the people who have the capital, uh, by and large, make the rules. It's funny, when I was a child, there used to be some boy in my class, long, 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 long ago, yeah. would say the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the, makes the rules. And that's not really true. But what is true is that he who has the gold has a much more comfortable life, has much more security than people who don't make the gold. And usually the route to making the gold is to start your own business, start your own 
fishing goods store or start your own dry goods right, store exactly. or, or start your own construction company or your own house repair company. But most of us are not really qualified to do that. Most of us are just born to be workers, worker bees. And uh, But we can become capitalists and become the equivalent of owning a business if we just buy stock. I mean, the stock system is a miraculous, incredible system, a miracle uh, of God's invention for us ordinary citizens to allow us to uh, own uh, a business. I mean, if you and I buy uh, a couple of thousand dollars each month or a month of uh, uh, every couple of months of uh, stock in the Standard & Poor's Industrial Index 500 Index Fund, uh, we are, at the end of a few years, essentially owning a business. And that business is a microscopic share of all the businesses in the U.S., and it's the same as owning a business. And uh, it's, it's better than doing that because you don't have to go to work every day. You don't have surly employees. You don't have to worry about filling out paperwork. Uh, it's an incredible world if you own a, a fairly large amount of stock. And if you start out young, you can own quite a lot of stock uh, by the time you're middle age and, and late middle age. So you you followed this route then, Ben, yourself. I'm sorry. You followed this route doing this, where you? Well, I mean, I've done. I I, I have other forms of capital. I've, I have a quite a fair a fair amount of real estate too. But uh, to tell you the truth, I made a mistake. I bought too much real estate. I should have bought more stock. But I I have enough stock that should allow, unless something very unexpected happens, to. Uh, take care of me and my wife and my granddaughter for the rest of their lives. I hope I mean, I'm not sure, but I think I do. Interesting. Okay. So kind of going in. So the average everyday person, this book's for in a way to say, or anyone that, okay, if you're not investing in the stock market, if you're not saving your money by investing and building capital, you're in deep trouble. Aren't you Ben? In a lot of ways, deep, deep, deep trouble. Social security is obviously on its way to oblivion. Uh, the anyway, Social Security doesn't pay very much. I mean, I give you an example. I've been a high-earning person all my life. I'm now 73. I think my Social Security payment is something like three thousand dollars a month. <laughs> my wife's been a high-earning person most of her life. I think her Social Security payment is something like eighteen hundred a month. So it's a joke. Uh, but uh, we have savings, and uh, the savings are not going to be taken away. I hope if Social Security is, re- is reduced. Although, of course, if the Democrats come into office, they will try to take away our savings whatever way they can. But uh, we are trying very, very hard to become a family that is self-sufficient through our own contributions, self-supporting through our own contributions. And our contributions have to be, first of all, to ourselves. Charity begins at home. And although we give an insane amount to charity, we, uh, we'd like to uh, think that if we have our own business, the business will take care of us, only our business is a microscopic share of all American business. Our business is a microscopic share of the entire American business landscape. Wow. So so interesting to hear all this, Ben. And for myself, it's very interesting when I sit down with people, when I'm investing myself, and they say, you should be well, saving you know, more money. You know, let, yeah. me, let, me, let me interrupt you here, my dear friend and tell you, you don't need to sit down and figure out how to invest. You're not going to beat the index. You really must just stay with the index, which is to say the S&P 500 index, 
and the, the transaction fees are almost nil. And he, Warren Buffett was very, very kind. As, so very kind as to read my book and to say, you're not. If you follow Ben's advice, you're going to beat even the most highly paid investment managers and investment advisors. And and he's totally right. And that's not something I discovered. It was discovered by uh, other great, much, 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 much smarter people than I am long ago. Okay, so people need to pick up the book to follow that advice. You can give us a little piece of that advice for sure. If you're not investing right now, we're dead. You're dead, and I am investing. Well, I wouldn't say you're dead, dead but, but do it. Don't. Yeah. Do, do, I wouldn't say you're dead. I wouldn't say you're dead, but say do it soon. I mean, if you're, if you're not investing right now, you're making a mistake, and you should start doing it soon. Interesting, interesting, and laying out those that process and sitting down, you're saying that it's not brain surgery. It's not... You, no, it's you, not brain surgery at all. It's not even remotely brain surgery. Interesting, interesting, Ben. So a recommendation for our listeners right now, if they're investing, what do they need to look at to see if they're doing the right thing, especially what's going to be... Uh, take some... Uh, make sure you save as much as you can and take whatever you save and put the majority of it, not all of it, but the majority of it into the S&P index fund. Now, bear in mind, I would predict, if I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fortune teller, but I would predict the next move for the stock market is down. Right. It's been up so much, it can't keep going up at this rate. But let's assume that it's, let's assume that it'll go down for a while, and then it'll come back up again higher than ever. Uh, at some point, the stock, the compounding of, of the growth of the stock, the fact that you probably will not pay much capital gains on the stock if you don't sell it, which you should definitely not do, uh, then you're going to soon be uh, in uh, a very nice position. Interesting. So staying the course, Ben, as everyone Stay the course. Buy the index. Don't try to pick stocks. Don't try to – don't watch TV shows that where you have some guy saying with a wig saying, uh, I can pick what the next uh, – next Facebook is going to be just buy the index. Interesting. Interesting. And what has the feedback been so far about your book, Ben? With, uh, that was great. What well, Warren there's only feed, one feedback I really care about, and that was from Warren Buffett, who I'm proud to call a friend. And Warren basically said, if you buy this book and follow the advice, you don't need, don't need to buy any other books about investing. That's a perfect so, endorsement right there. That's that's the best. I, I, yeah. I will take an endorsement from Warren Buffett over an endorsement from anyone else in the world. I would take an endorsement from Warren Buffett above any investor, any other investor anywhere. Okay, great. Well, again, we're talking to Ben Stein, author of The Capitalist Code. It can save your life and make you very rich on The Neil Haley Show. And... Ben, I think that that's, that's the best thing. People need to go and pick up the book. Now, in this process of an investor, is there, I mean, if ideas about the, being a capitalist and the economy, is that your passion, Ben, would you say, right now? No, the- I would say my passion is my wife. My, wa- my wife is my goddess and my saint and the woman I worship and the human being that I worship. But my passion is my son and, his, his, and my granddaughter. But uh, I don't, uh, but I will say my passion is really uh, trying to make myself, give myself some measure of spiritual security and some measure of financial security. And if I find that if I'm having a day where I'm having tremendous financial insecurity, which can happen because I I keep very little cash in my checking account and my savings account and transfer it all from my Merrill Lynch account and my Fidelity account. 
And then a day when I have to transfer a lot, because, for example, my son has run up a huge tuition bill or something like that, uh, then I uh, have to uh, I have to uh, worry a little bit, even though I shouldn't, I do. So, but uh, I, financial security is a big, giant path towards emotional and spiritual security, and that's what I'm really looking for. That's fabulous, and that's a and so that's what you're looking for, and that's what you recommend lots of people to look for. To specifically look at specifically that you can't you got to look out for tomorrow because you you, you got to invest. Well, you today. Have to look out. Well, you know, so now you're 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 really really making an incredibly important issue, bringing up an incredibly important issue. We do have to look out for tomorrow, but we also have to live for today. I mean, there's no surer way to uh, being unhappy than to look far into the future. And I'm afraid if you look far into the future, you are going to find that it's pretty dismal because we're all going to die. We're all going to all get old, we're going to get sick, and we're going to die. And some of us will get get right. sick and die right. before we're old. So don't look too far into the future. You have to have some kind of balance between looking for at today, living for today, and also uh, looking after tomorrow. But but I say what I would say is put that looking uh, about tomorrow, looking for, forward to tomorrow on autopilot, just buy a certain amount of the uh, of the index fund uh, every month or every week or however often you get paid. Wow. Okay. It, it, it sounds like a great advice. Any other projects you currently are promoting, Ben, that you want to talk about that's going on with you? Well, I'm going to write something about sobriety because uh, and about uh, abstinence from alcohol and drugs and uh that's become a huge part of my life. I've seen so many of my friends die young from uh, alcohol and drugs, and uh, relatives as well. I'm sorry to say, and uh, I'm and I'm determined. I, I've, I've spent a lot of my time and a lot of my life in the world of sobriety, and uh, specifically AA. And uh, I want to pass on what I've learned from there. I've been I've learned I think a hell of a lot about how to keep sober and. Uh, and by the way, a lot of it has to do with the same principles as as being a good investor, which is just uh, stay at it and don't change. Because when you have your life out of order, Ben, and this is this is all about order, all about discipline and order to make sure that's very well put. Yeah. You know, you're you're a smart guy. We should talk more often. I, it's about uh, we, it's, it's about keeping your life in order. There, there's a wonderful saying by some very smart philosopher. I forget who it is, which is that. Some some semblance of uh, order is a huge part of human happiness, and I think that's true. And uh, I don't, uh, I, I'm not very good at it myself. The only thing I'm good at is work. I'm work a good worker. I work like a maniac, even in my advanced age. And I, uh, I, uh, and I uh, try to keep uh, an honest, firm grip on uh, helping my wife and my daughter and my, my granddaughter and my uh, son. And uh, that's that's what I do. A large sense of order, and that's that when your life is out of order. Yeah, that's right. One other thing, which I would say is, I spend an awful lot of time on my knees thanking God for being in America. Mm -hmm. There is nothing like being in in America. There's no gift that the Lord God has bestowed upon any human beings greater than being in America. So, uh, I mean, I would rather be in America right now in 2017, even with all the controversy, even with all the bitterness, even with all the hostility, than any other time, any other place in the history of the world. Fantastic. Best place we can find information on you, Ben, and learn more about you. Where can we go? 
and purchase a book. Uh, yeah. Just look me up on Wikipedia. I mean, I, my website is undergoing renovation, so I wouldn't look there for a while, but it'll be done in a couple of weeks. But uh, I'd say for now, uh, just to look me up on Wikipedia. And purchase your book in all finer bookstores. And I would love to have you back on again to talk anything you want to talk about because I'm a huge fan of yours and it was awesome and I I just think that you have the right sense when it comes to investing it's now you have to sit down with my wife Ben and tell her how important it is to save for the future and 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 you can do that you're her husband you can you do our partnership bound in ours bound in ours bound in heaven you can uh, you can tell her yourself all right sounds good Ben thanks for coming on the show appreciate it Thank you so much. See you. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Please listen to the Forletta Podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few. Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com.